We return to Matthew chapter 5 this morning, and we begin to pick up at verse 21. Matthew 5, 21 to 26. King Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Article specific, reference to God's own judgment. But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of Gehenna, hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Father, this morning we pause at these words of our Savior, recognizing that they are indeed reflective of thy righteousness, which is an everlasting righteousness, and that thy law is the truth of it. Help us then as we think about the law as it was revealed. And the law as King Jesus preached it in order that we might grasp for ourselves that high, high sense of expectation on your part as the Creator concerning that which is on our part the created. Indeed, Lord, it is a demand too high for us to meet. And yet, because thou art a God of mercy and a God of grace, you have met that need for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we thank you today that really the underpinnings of the gospel are ever to be found in this extended section of the Lord's Messianic Manifesto. We ask for a liberty as we think together with an open Bible. We thank you in advance. In Jesus' name and for his blessed sake, amen. Anger, A-N-G-E-R, is just one letter short of danger, D-A-N-G-E-R. But no one among us would naturally think 
that the danger of unrighteous anger would be indeed on the same plane as the violation called murder. But that's exactly what King Jesus says. He speaks about murder, he speaks about anger, and he speaks, as we read it today, about God's own judgment. Now, it is extremely important that the sermon today and the coming sermons, as we continue to work in this fifth chapter, extremely important that we not give ourselves over to just a topical review of a subject. We are in the middle of a study of the Lord's Messianic Manifesto as recorded from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. In this, our Lord makes it absolutely clear that the righteousness that is required by God is not self-righteousness. God requires the superior righteousness that is reflective of his own character, his own true inner self, inner righteousness. And so the sermon, if you had to give the sermon a title, it would be the title of the character and the conduct of righteousness. The character and the conduct of righteousness, as God is righteous, and his righteousness is forever, and the law is indeed a revelation of that righteousness. Psalm 119, 142. You've heard that verse in the last few weeks. You're going to be hearing it a lot in weeks to come. The religious leaders of that particular day had misrepresented God's law. Their idea of obedience was external and superficial. Uh, the Lord's shocking statement in verse 20 makes the point that is illustrated throughout the rest of the chapter that the requirement of God for righteousness is of a superior righteousness uh, than that which is, is just commonly known among the aspect of mankind. You see it in, in parenting a young child. It doesn't take too much force of personality on a parent's part uh, to get a child to pick up their toys. After all, uh, the parent weighs 150 pounds and the kid weighs 25 pounds. It's not too hard to make a kid pick up their toys. But it is difficult to make a kid pick up their toys with the right attitude. Many a kid goes whining to the toy box, slamming the toys down, as they obey, obey their parents in the aspect of putting away their toys. Listen, obedience isn't just doing the right thing, it's being the right person. And it's illustrated a time and again in the context of many, many different life experiences. Our Lord is going to draw upon six illustrations of the superior righteousness of God's demand. And today we're dealing with Number one, uh, there's a little bit of a structural pattern. I know that the teens 
when they previously studied this section of the Word of God, uh, noted the structure, and it's important for us to note the structure. If you look at verse 21, the words are, ye have heard. Verse 22, but I say unto you. And then if you look at verse 27, ye have heard. And verse 28, but I say unto you. And then if you look at verse 31, it hath been said. And verse 32, but I say unto you. Verse 33, again, ye have heard. Verse 34, but I say unto you. Verse 38, ye have heard. Verse 39, but I say unto you. Verse 43, ye have heard. Verse 44, but I say unto you. Now you note that structure and you count them up and you have six, six illustrations used by the Lord Jesus to demonstrate the misrepresentation of God's law by the religious leaders in that day. The Lord Jesus is not correcting Moses, but he is interpreting the law of Moses and his interpretation is true. Jesus represents the law of God as it had always been intended to be understood. In other words, the religious men had taken the things that God said, they took God's word, and they just tweaked it a little bit so that it seemed okay for them and that it would be okay for others rather than taking the word of God exactly as it is. God's demand in the law is much, much greater than men commonly understand. Herein is the character and the conduct of righteousness revealed as demanded by the Almighty. That is the umbrella statement that stands over the next six sermons in which we take an illustration a week and deal with the six illustrations under this banner of the character and the conduct of righteousness as demanded by the Almighty. These words of Christ the King were ever as much as shocking in the day in which he spoke them as they are in our own day. Why were they shocking then? Why are they shock, shocking now? Well, let's talk about then. They were shocking then because of false representation in the culture at large. And they were shocking to hear back in that day because of false teaching among religious men of notoriety. What did I just say? I just said that this uh, word of Jesus was shocking in that generation because out there in the culture of the world, out there in society, there was no representation of the kind of truth that Jesus was speaking here. You could not find this kind of understanding of God's law in society around you back in the Lord's day. And then, in addition... You had the false teaching of religious men of notoriety that certainly the more messed up the understanding of people concerning God's demand of 
righteousness. And so back in that day, the people just didn't get it. Because in society at large, there was no representation of this kind of thing. And very frankly, uh, uh, the false teaching of religious men of notoriety had royally made uh, a mess of of the hearing of the pure word of God as it was indeed delivered to Moses under the law. And when you take these same words to the Lord Jesus and you apply them today to our situation, they are likewise shocking. Why? Because there's nothing in society that talks like this. And because of the false representation of of teaching that is out there among men of notoriety that royally have so messed up the reality of Christianity that you would likely never hear anything like this from the lips of anybody in the pulpit, even though these things came from the lips of the Lord Jesus. This is what King Jesus said. This is what our Savior said. Tell you that you will not hear anything like this in the world. You will not hear anything like this in the corrupted halls of Christianity. But you're going to hear it this morning, and you're going to hear it from the lips of the Lord Jesus Himself. In each of the six illustrations, our blessed Lord will connect the egregious external act of sin upon which most men would agree to be a bad thing with the internal reality of the heart, which most men ignore. The heart of every matter is the matter of the heart. The first illustration used by the Lord to demonstrate God's demand for true inner righteousness involves the sin of murder. Jesus interprets the law, thou shalt not murder, shalt not kill, as meaning homicide, suicide, and inner rage. Why do we say murder and not the word kill? Simple. The word kill is a broader word in our day, and uh, with that word, you could shut down a deer hunting season in Michigan. (laughs) And why would you if, in fact, you're eating what you kill? Uh, the reality is the fact is there, there's, no, there's nothing in the Bible that says you never kill anything. Uh, in fact, there are prescriptions under the law in which sacrificial animals were killed. And so some killing is not only allowed, some killing is demanded. But the killing that is being talked about under the law, thou shalt not kill, has to do with uh, the human reality of that on the horizontal plane. Thou shalt not murder. We're talking about homicide. We're talking about suicide. We're talking about inner rage in this particular passage of Scripture. God's law is violated by the external act and by the internal attitude. The common phrase, I'm not a bad person, I never killed anybody, will not cut it with God. Not a bad person. I never killed anybody. Hmm. Guess what? That will not relieve you from the article-specific judgment, God's judgment. Just because you never killed anybody doesn't let you off the hook. If you and I take Jesus at his word... 
if we embrace the interpretation of God's law, we are indeed ourselves already guilty with five more illustrations of righteousness to go. The scribes and the Pharisees made people feel good about themselves because they were holding them to the external standard of comparison with other people. Jesus says that God's law, when rightly and correctly understood, holds all people to both an external and internal standard. I want to remind you of a few related facts this morning before we get into the heart of the text. Number one, not all anger is unrighteous. Jesus himself was angry. Dr. J. Adams says that anger is indeed a gift from God designed to mobilize force to attack problems. Dr. Jim Berg says anger can be righteous when the displeasure is aimed at the same things God is displeased with and when it makes the same demands that God made and when it sets out to destroy those things that God opposes. There is, in the Bible, a clear line of study concerning righteous anger. People of God, like God himself, are to not only be understood and characterized by the things they love, but by the things they hate. God is a God of love. You've heard that. But God is a God of hate. You don't hear that much anymore. A righteous man is a, God, a man of love. And he's a man of hate. Love and hate characterize the Almighty. Anger can be righteous when the displeasure is aimed at the same things God is displeased with. But that said, most anger is unrighteous. Unrighteous anger erupts out of the pursuit of one's own personal interests above all others. You think about road rage. You slow me down. You cut me off. You, 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 because it's all about me, me, me. And that, my friend, is the seed of unrighteous anger. Righteous anger quickly becomes unrighteous if we handle it by blowing up. Psychologists call that ventilation. So whether you handle it by blowing up or whether you handle it by clamming up, you know, it seems as if Joe either punches somebody or claims that the lazy boy doesn't talk to his wife for a year. Ventilate, blow up, or clam up internalization of anger. Both of those things are absolutely sinful. And such anger hurts either your buddy or it hurts your body. All such anger either hurts your buddy or it hurts your body. Now, with those simple uh, things said, 
in the big picture topic about anger. We want to zero in on unrighteous anger, as Jesus spoke of it here, noting not only that unrighteous anger hurts, but that, first of all, it particularly hurts your personal standing with God. Now, how do we know that the topic here is unrighteous anger? Well, our first clue is found in verse 22 with the words, without a cause. That whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Those words help us to understand that the Lord is talking here about an unrighteous anger that surges uh, without a good sense of godly and holy reason. And so we're talking about unrighteous anger. Judgment, according to the Lord Jesus, awaits the angry person as well as the murderer. There is a court beyond this present world. You may never be judged in a civil court for a hateful spirit or for harboring resentment or for holding a grudge. But God has his own court. And God has promised you and me that we all someday will stand before that court of God. And Jesus, in this particular text of Scripture, makes it absolutely clear that the penalty of judgment before God is the same for murder as it is for internalized anger of the murder in variety. Again, 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not kill murder. And whosoever shall kill murder shall be in danger of the judgment, God's judgment. That's not new. That's what all of the preachers in that day were teaching. And, of course, that would be true. That would be true. That would be true. But now Jesus says, verse 22, But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger, same word, of, same word, the, same article definitive use of of, uh, introduction, judgment, God's judgment. What did Jesus just reveal? Jesus just revealed that if you read the law right, it's not just about what you do. It's about who you are. It's about your internal man. And then the Lord goes on to say, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of Gehenna, that smoldering, fiery dump in the Hinnom Valley outside Jerusalem that the, G, that the Lord Jesus used most often to speak of hellfire 
a place of misery and stench and smoke and fire. The angry expression raka really has no English equivalent. It's a slanderous verbal assault that would be quite similar to a racial slur. Such talk can, in fact, land you in a council, land you in court, get you in trouble with authorities. Calling a person fool, the Bible word is moron, calling a person a moron out of hatred is an evidence of an air of superiority and evidence is the sinfulness of the heart confirming that the sinner is on the path to Gehenna to hellfire, not on the path that glows towards the Lord as we walk it to the Lord's haven. All sin is against God. Any sin of any kind hurts your standing with God. Here, Jesus confirms that your anger inside of you may well keep you from God's heaven. It's a revealing thing to think about murder and anger as both indeed coming under the introspection of the Almighty, as standing before the judgment. Unrighteous anger hurts your personal standing with God. Secondly, unrighteous anger hurts your personal worship of God. The passage goes on, and we see the word that we are often clued to in Bible study, verse 23, therefore. Since there is a day of judgment before God, not only for murder, but for anger, uh, therefore, there are some practical earthly advice to be now appropriated. And so you have in verse 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer your gift. Now in those verses after the therefore, in light of the truth of the judgment of God and a brand of righteousness that not only includes the things that you do with your body, but the things that are indeed a part of your inner life, with that piece of certainty in your heart and mind, with a sense of conviction, because after all, Jesus was the preacher. Now you begin to apply that truth to life. And the first application has to do with worshiping God. And when it comes to worship, we understand that unrighteous anger hurts, that unresolved conflict with others hurts your worship of God. 
Jesus commends that we acknowledge the connection between our horizontal relations and our vertical relation with God. If we try to worship God when conflict rages between us, whether seen or unseen, it won't work. Jesus says every effort should be made to bring reconciliation. When there is animosity or sin of any sort in the heart, there cannot be integrity in our worship. Now again, it's interesting as you think upon what the Lord said here of some of the common ways in which people twist these words. Verse 23 again, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar. First of all, where is the altar in this church? Answer, there isn't any. Why? Because the altar that you and I appeal to is the altar that was uh, set up at the cross. And now the complete interaction of my relationship and your relationship with God is mediated before the throne of God in heaven. Therefore, churches like ours do not have an altar to bring your gift because of the fact that the altar that we depend upon as the place of mediation between God the Father and God the Son in our behalf is taking place in heaven, not at the front of this church. So we understand that Jesus is talking to a Jewish crowd, that he's talking to them before the reality of his work at the cross for our sins, the resurrection, and the ascension, and now the mediation. And so the instructions here are quite clear to a Jewish person. And Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar, to the sacrificial altar at the tabernacle, or in this case, in the temple. And when you bring your worship gift, when you bring your, 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 uh, uh, your sacrificial gift, your offering, uh, to the temple complex, and when you're there, you remember that thy brother hath ought against thee. Now, let's just remember what we're talking about here. This does not say that you remember that somebody offended you. This says that you remember in the moment of worship that you offended somebody. Why, I have known people that have read this backwards and have gone around the church uh, uh, before a worship service uh, telling everybody in the church how they were offended. And there's one thing I'll tell you about Baptist people. They're often offended. They're just always offended. It's stupid. It seldom is important, but offense is something that people have to talk about. And I don't care whether you're talking here about the nursery or the Sunday school class or the deacons meeting. There's always somebody that's really worried that we're going to offend somebody. Well, if the truth offends you, goodbye. May you be offended by the truth. And as our man sang this morning, may it cause you to reach out to Jesus, who's reaching out to you. This idea 
of offense is messed up. Here, Jesus says, you come to the moment of worship, you come to the moment of doing what you're supposed to do at the tabernacle or at the temple, and in that act of worship, that external act of worship, you're there, and then you remember that you did something wrong concerning somebody else. Jesus says then very clearly, here's what you should do. Leave your gift before the altar and go thy way and first be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift to God. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, you need to pay attention in your life uh, to short accounts. You need to pay attention uh, to the aspect of the spirit of reconciliation uh, as a precursor uh, to the aspect of worship. And uh, I'm not trying to rub anybody's nose in it this morning. This is not potty training. I'm just simply asking you, have you been prepared of heart to worship God today? Or did you just barely get here by the time the hour began? Preparation for worship is an ever-ongoing thing. And I would suggest to you that one of the greatest sins of God's people in this generation is lack of preparation for public worship. Is the heart right? Is the mind right? Is the, is, is the thought in tune But with God before you come? Before you sit down. Here the Lord makes it very, very clear that unrighteous anger can indeed hurt your personal worship with God. Listen to the words of my dead buddy Spurgeon. The Pharisee would urge as a cover for his malice that he brought a sacrifice to make atonement. But our Lord will have forgiveness rendered to our brother first, and then the offering presented. We ought to worship God thoughtfully. And if in the course of that thought, we remember that our brother has good cause against us, we must stop. We must acknowledge that we've wronged another we must pause, cease from worship, and hasten to seek reconciliation. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Unrighteous anger hurts your personal standing with God. Unrighteous anger hurts your personal worship of God. Third thing. Unrighteous anger hurts your personal business with others. The, the Lord's applications are, are right down where the rubber meets the road. Jesus goes from talking about the principle, the theological principle of the judgment, the judgment of God, relative to the sins of murder and anger. He goes from that to first talk about worship. Practical application of the theological principle in regards to worship. And then the Lord continues and he introduces a new area of application, namely your business life. He says, verse 25, agree with thine adversary quickly. Now, 
once again, why is that guy your adversary? Well, I don't know. He just don't like me. He's not talking about that. It's not about a fact that a guy has become your adversary because you did something wrong to him. You did something wrong. You violated him. This isn't talking about the fact that somebody doesn't like you and you don't know why. This isn't out of context talking about any of those things. This is talking about a person that has become your adversary because of your own wrongdoing. Agree with your adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him. I mean, you take just those words himself, rip them out of context, and I'd go chasing uh, the people that I didn't vote for. And I go chasing the people that are, are bothered by me for this reason or that reason when it's no offense or no sin in my part. Why, well, I'd be agreeing with people that I, I can't agree with because what they believe and what they, and what they think and what they do is contrary to the plain teaching of the Word of God. This isn't teaching that we should go through life constantly compromising. These words do not teach compromising. These words are the practical advice of righteousness. When you know you've done something wrong, and when you know you've done something wrong, Jesus said, agree with your adversary quickly while thou art in the way. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge delivered thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Well, that would not be good. Just because you wouldn't go and, and resolve the issue, just because you wouldn't try to make things right and, 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 uh, and, and, and bring a sense of restitution uh, to the aspect of your violation, uh, that you go to jail for it? And then Jesus said, Verily, you know the word means truly, the word in the Greek is amen, comes in English as amen. I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. What does that say? That says you get yourself in trouble with men. Listen, you get yourself in trouble with men because you don't do right and you can't pray a prayer to God and expect to be bailed. What? Let me say it one more time. You cannot violate other people and expect that because you violated other people and they apply the rules of men to you, like the IRS rules or the government business rules or the standard rules of society, you can't expect that God's going to bail you out. When, in fact, you say, oh, God, I got myself in trouble and I don't want to be in prison. Uh, Jesus would say, I already told you, you're going to have to be there until you've done your time. Until you've paid the farther and most farthing. Listen, God's people, uh, it would appear, are just, are just goofy in some of these things. They think they can do wrong and that somehow God will, will bail them out. Oh, God, I don't want to be pregnant. Many girls have prayed that prayer. Oh, God, I don't want it to be wrong. Many people have prayed that prayer. And yet that's not the prayer that brings, that brings uh, forgiveness. That's not the prayer before God that brings help. And even when God does help us and we turn to him, it doesn't mean that there won't be consequences for our sinful violations. Agree with thy adversary quickly. It's not commending some kind of Christian 
quasi-compromise whereby we get along with everybody, no matter what the cost of truth. No. It's talking about the fact when you know you've done something wrong, go make it right. Do your best to make it right. Do your best to stay out of trouble with men. Or as Paul said it, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I take note that the words agree quickly literally mean to make friends. My son told the story from his Coast Guard days of a seaman on duty at night who broke an eight-by-eight glass window overlooking the harbor, and it was encouraged by his coasty friends to blame a seagull. He did not blame the seagull. He rather woke up the chief on duty and made friends with the chief. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Don't go through life blaming seagulls. Don't go through life uh, uh, saying it's somebody else, it's somebody else. Don't be always uh, blaming other people. One of the things that Sherry and I have often noted about living in this area is the blame game. Everybody blames everybody. When the problem lies, oftentimes, within. Now, unless you think that this uh, particular sermon is about anger, we've got to soak up the bigger truth here. And for that, in conclusion, I brought my tea bag. Do you know how to make tea? Make tea. No. You put the tea bag in hot water to make tea. Tea is not a natural result of hot water alone. But tea is the illustration of Dr. Jim Berg as to how anger works. You put your life into earthly hot water, and out of you comes what's within. Anger is that which is in most of us, if not all of us. And the reality of the Lord's words in this regard are absolutely, absolutely compelling, absolutely compelling. It causes me to say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I'm not just guilty now. I've been guilty 10,000 times in 10,000 ways. Oh, God, there is no help from me within myself. My hope is in the Lord. The righteousness that God demands is the righteousness that he has provided in Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, help us.